Welcome to the Buran and Associates podcast, Insurance Banter, where in each one of our episodes, you'll experience insightful discussion that you can turn around and implement in your business to become a more effective insurance professional. And today, Chris and I are really pleased to be joined by Chris Williams. Chris, good morning. Welcome. Why don't you tell our guests a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, good morning to you. Um, I am uh, a fairly newly retired insurance guy um, with uh, 35 years going back of agency um, history. My dad started the agency back in 1965, 1966, and it was a small little agency when I started up um, in my late, late 20s. And just kind of jumped in and and a lot of years later a lot a lot of changes both internally and externally um and actually just i really do love the business i really really love the people that i had been able to be associated with for all those years and just um about a year and a half ago uh completed the sale of the agency um to a to a local buyer in albuquerque new mexico and um, so that's the, that's the rough, the rough outline of my career. That's way, that's Fantastic. way. <laughs> no, that is perfect. Cause I mean, what we, we've talked about, we've had guests on about preparing the agency for sale and, and what to do, but it's, it's great to be able to, I think, get in and talk about what that is actually like as you go through the process and, and what happens afterward. Um, so for you in, in selling your agency, what were the reasons that you kind of decided to sell? Why did you want to do it? When did you want to do it? Was it how you anticipated it? Um, yeah, I would I would say that it was a, it wasn't a slow process. It wasn't a fast process for me at all. It was actually a very slow process. I think I think um, as the agency grew over the years, I think we were maybe a little different than some agencies our size where we really had a very um, a small management and a single ownership model. Um, so I had no partners and really there were uh, just two other main uh, managers within the agency. And um, it was it was a lot. I, I mean, it was really, really a, an awesome experience. Um, but I think as maybe some of the outside influences, sort of regulation and competition and the legal environment that we function in today, um, and then kind of surviving a two-year COVID experience, um, I think I just found myself at my age just kind of going, I'm really, really tired. Um, and that's just being transparent. It's you hit a point where you just kind of say, I'm not sure that I'm actually really good for my for my agency anymore. And that's a hard place to get to when you've invested and this is your child for years and these friendships or the the, the working relationships you have have become friendships. Um, I was really uncomfortable with that. The other the other driving piece of it was um I, I think a lot of agency owners would agree with this. I think I think uh, car the carrier industry would as well. There's just a massive generational gap uh, to close in our industry. I'm not sure that I understand what it is, but we found ourselves with, I want to say the average age um, of 
of our employee base was in the mid fifties. And I had, I was literally dealing with PTSD from having brought in some younger producers and just, I really did the last one I did. I was like, never again. I'm not ever doing this again. And that's really jaded, but it was, it was also reflective of just how tired I was. Um, and surviving the COVID run with that, to have a new producer or two in your agency, you really don't have an opportunity to train them because the industry was just so different, but um, for those two years and and a bit past that. So I had a um, I had an internal perpetuation issue where I was really, really struggling as to how I was going to replace some very large books of business held by some older producers that I knew within the next year, two, three, were probably going to be slowing down, um, more likely retiring. And <clears throat> I just, it, it was a, it's like a two o'clock in the morning experience where you're, you're trying to figure this out. And it's tough where you're pretty self-reliant. You've worked through some really tough issues over the years, too many to even talk about. And to kind of hit that that point where you just go, I don't really think that I'm going to be able to solve this. It's it's a scary place to be. But I think that was kind of the final impetus where you just kind of go, it's probably time to to pull the trigger on this thing. So sorry for the monologue there, but it was there there was a lot to that. Oh, I, th- I think that's hugely insightful. And and then Chris Buran, that's not unusual for for what you see. I don't imagine when you talk to different owners. Um, I think it's a little bit more insightful than what I normally hear. Um, for for sure, um, I think having that much self awareness of it's just time. Um, like Chris described, it is um, a little bit rare. And um, but it's it's really valuable. And I think that level of self-awareness really prevents a lot of, of problems. Because what a lot of times I see is someone maybe not being willing to be quite that transparent with themselves, and they hang on too long. And then things start to deteriorate. And then they go, I need to sell, but I need the money as if I sold before things had started to deteriorate. And it's like, oh, man, I don't know what to tell you. Um, The money's not there now because you waited too long to sell. So I think that level of self-awareness to know sell now before deterioration sets in is just extremely valuable. And that's one of the differences, I think, uh, in what Chris's story is versus some others. So, Chris, then once you once you made the decision, you had the self-awareness, okay, it's about time. Um, what did you do to start to affect that transition? Um, I think I think the starting point was to try to figure out what this, what I really wanted this to look like on the other end. So, you know, Chris mentions wanting to make sure you have enough money and he knows me well enough. I mean, it's, you would just have to realize what a goofy guy I am, but I just, I wasn't, I'm not um, particularly financially motivated. So like, you know, that's pretty weird, (laughs) but 
so that being said, my the honest point was the the valuation of the agency was not my number one priority. I'm not saying that it wasn't important. I'm just saying that that wasn't on the front end. So the front end to me was really a, a culture fit. I really genuinely cared for the people and still do the people that I had worked with. I mean, and and it's a it's a weird way to say it, but it's like the process is almost like dispossessing your family. And it's so where they end up mattered more to me than pretty much anything else in the process. And that was just that was really difficult. It's you're you're trying to find a, a culture fit um, with somebody that you don't actually really know their culture. So the quick story on that really is um, I did I had a lot of conversations with Chris. I think um, he's uniquely qualified to be able to help because I think he probably like I am, I think there's a fit there. He really cares about people more than he does. That that would be his priority. And he's really gifted at being able to kind of identify cultures and their importance within running a business. So he, he was my, he was my go-to guy. I think we had some early discussions about some possibilities for an outside the state fit and then COVID hit, shut everything down for two years. Um, and that was a time that kind of gave me more of an opportunity to figure out, is this a out-of-state sale? Is this an in-state sale? Is it an in-agency in sale? Um, and that was just a very difficult process of trying to identify. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's one of the most, maybe the most difficult part of the process, at least for me, because of the culture fit because there's just so many unknowns with it. Um, but it started with the culture fit. And and then quickly, the process that I kind of came down to was, it, it was another two o'clock in the morning realization where I'm thinking, um, my the difficulty of internal perpetuation is I'm going to have to replace a whole bunch of people and large books of business. And I need access to a... a a network to where I can find those people locally. If you sold, if I sold, in other words, if I sold to an outside state agency or broker, um, they would have to ship in a whole bunch of people or they would rely on me to find the people to perpetuate internally. And if I could have perpetuated internally, I wouldn't be selling um, was part of that thinking. It was like, if I could solve the, my own problem, um, then I would but I really can't. And therefore I'm going to need to find somebody local that's tied to a local network and has the size to absorb us because that was the other issue. It wasn't, um, it, it, it was a, it would be a big swallow for, for a local independently held agency. So, so that conclusion, you know, by three o'clock in the morning was this is going to need to be an in-state local buyer that's, that's larger than we are that can swallow us, absorb us and begin to help transition some of that, um, that those internal perpetuation issues. And then Chris, from, from your standpoint, Chris Buran, the, uh, the guidance that you're giving folks in that similar situation now that is they're trying to evaluate what looks like a good um, opportunity, what kind of things do you let people know about? It's so important to to think it through up front. And that means starting 
years in advance, not overnight. So what do you want out of a buyer? Is it 100% about the money? Is it about the culture? Is it, what's it about? And what, what can you fix before you go to market in your agency to um, help you achieve whatever your goals are? You know, if your goals are about a cultural fit and you have this one person in your agency that is going to wreck it for any possibility, well, get rid of that person now. If it's about the money, well, there's some things that maybe you can do along those lines. And then re- absolutely 100% regardless of what, if your goal is cultural or financial, it doesn't really matter with this one point is, have your agency reviewed in detail to get all of your documents and your data aligned and in order and all of the, the questions that the buyer is going to ask as to, you know, why do you show a million dollars more on your tax returns than you show on your income statement? Why does it show that you have 500 more customers than you tell me on these other documents that you have? In fact, how many customers do you really have? And I bring that one up because probably about 75% of the agencies I look at, they cannot provide initially anywhere close to a correct count of how many customers they have. And this especially is true for anyone listening that has an agency management system that is not one of the two largest, especially if they're using QuickBooks for accounting, you can add another six months to a year probably to getting your agency ready to sell because you lack an integrated accounting system with your agency management system. So those are long-winded, but I can't overemphasize the importance of that. And I know Chris and his team, that you guys did a lot of work. It was over a year's worth of work just along those lines to get it ready, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was it was it was actually more than that. And I, I, I failed to kind of hit that point here. This was not an impulsive decision in the slightest. This started probably three to four years before the, um, the I, I had, you know, woken up at two o'clock in the morning, figuring all this stuff out. But um, but we had basically done a dry run uh, with Chris on the preparation and you know, truthfully, it was absolutely exhausting. There, there's so much um, data. There's so much cleanup. Our systems get so dirty over time, and you have no idea. So, in our case, we had we had a setup um, with our agency management system when we converted to a, a updated version back in. I think it was 1999. There was a setup error in there that we really didn't catch until 2000, you know, 21, and and it was it was really difficult to to kind of work through that cleanup. But but that's just one little you know top piece of of layers and layers of cleanup. Your producer contracts, your carrier agreements, your service center agreements, your you know, do you have your corporate minutes set up? Um, you know, do you have your original stock certificates? I mean, 
it was it was an unbelievable amount of work. And I will say, like, we were really very well organized prior to that. And again, in large part, um, based on our work with Chris over the years, there was we had we had really clean procedures. Our processes were really solid. Our management team was really stable. There was so much to build on. But that process needs to start two plus years early, in my opinion, in order to be through it. The buyer, when they were done, as big national brokers said, this was maybe one of the easiest, um, cleanest transactions they had ever done. And I give I give Chris credit for that because that was years and years in the making. Um, even when I didn't fully understand the what the importance of that of that foundation was going to be. And Al Haft, I was laughing as you were talking on a few of those things. I've we've we've gone through that same process just to get the the business valued for different reasons, made a, a corporate structure change, and 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 cleaned up some producer things. And it 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 really is a two year process, right? Now, first year, you really feel uh, you feel pretty beat up in, in many ways. You're 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 walking in, going, yeah, we're feeling pretty good, and you're walking out, going. How did we ever stay in business with, with uh, all of all of this that we have to do? Yeah, it's true. I, I mean, the the funny part of it is, I actually told my wife when we were near the end of this thing. I said, "I will never do this again. If this happens again, I'll just give the agency to somebody else and say you figure it out." <laughs> so that is, it's for sure. But. Uh, and you went through that process. Any 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 surprises or, or things you do differently um, now that you're through the end of it? What would you, um, besides telling yourself you'll, you're never going to do it again, um, if you had to, what would you yeah. do different? No, that's a great question. Um, I, I would I would say one of the surprises was um, just the the stamina and the. Um, the professionalism of of a couple of the people that I had worked with for a lot, a lot of years where you're just like, man, I've really appreciated her in in a lot of ways over the years. But I just really had no idea really the quality of person I'd been working with on that level um, in several cases. And then also just the, you know, the acceptance from people that I had worked with for 20, 30 years when this announcement was made and their understanding, like um, the depth of some of those relationships was pretty special. Um, I would also maybe say the the other surprise, and this isn't intended to sound wrong, but it's like the the work that we had done with Chris for, for years, um, that was when that process really brought out the value of it because like you like we just said and you mentioned too Paul um you get you get a really clear picture of the quality of your of your operation that has accumulated over decades when you have to put it all together in a format to actually someone else is going to go deep down into your underwear drawers you know, in your closet and see what's there. And I was surprised at how much that steady process over the years of working with Chris and doing E&O audits and financial audits and workflow audits and um, just, you know, agency management wisdom played out because you could kind of see it there. And it's not to say that we were you know, really that, that good, but it, it's, it's like a heads up where you go, 
man, he helped us get a lot of these things right early. And I'm not sure that I saw it as clearly at the time, but I sure did at the end. Sure. Well, thank you for that. And, and uh, Chris, any, you know, closing thoughts is on, on this process versus one you see all the time, final recommendations for folks. Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for the, thanks for the feedback there, Chris. I, I appreciate that. And it makes me feel good. Um, I appreciate it. You know, my, my clients that have the most success when they go to sell their agency, this may sound a little self-serving, but it, it, it's, it's really true. They have two things in common. And I was just with one who did almost the opposite of what Chris did when, in selling his agency, uh, as far as what he wanted to do after the sale. Um, very successful though. One is they worked on it for years to get everything set up. And um, as he would repeat Chris's words, even probably at a larger, a higher volume, um, I didn't really appreciate going through all of that pain prior. It, I didn't like it. I didn't see the value of it, it would, at the time is what he would, would say. Um, he did a ton of soul searching over a period of years. And we sat together, I don't know how many different dinners, going, what are you going to do the day after you sell? What's that going to look like? And he came to a completely different conclusion than Chris Williams did. And But knowing it and having certainty has given him a peace of mind, like I think Chris Williams probably has, that is really wonderful. And it makes, um, selfishly, it makes me feel very good that I helped them achieve something in their life, not not having to do with the money. And um, they're not regretting having nothing to do the day after the sale that they're bored. And, you know, you hear all these stories about people retiring and then dying and these people aren't going to do that. And that makes me feel really good. You know, we were talking about that and kind of end on this to say, thank you, both of you. And, and Chris, I know we were t- Williams. We were talking about before we started recording that very issue and, and where you're at now and, and a, a great part of your life and the preparation you did before that's allowing you to to really maximize your enjoyment where you're at. Yeah, it's it's it is true. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um yeah, I would I mean I'd conclude by saying start the process early, but also don't wait too long. <laughs> that those are kind of contradictory, but those go together in this case. They really do. Wise advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's always, this has been a really fun conversation for me, taking something that is sometimes academic and and theoretical and actually being able to talk through what it looks like, what it actually, how it actually happened and what were the really important things to focus on. So thank you both for, for sharing your insight into that. And we appreciate everybody taking the time to listen. We'll talk to you next time.